0: Dean Millard did his podcast training by spending 22 years as a TV and radio host. When his station made cutbacks, yes, he was a recipient of a pink slip, which left him with a choice of what to do next. He could get a job with another radio station, or he could go out on his own as a podcast host. Well, I bet you can guess which option he chose. That's right, he became a podcaster. And while most of my past guests have many years of podcasting experience. What I love about this interview is Dean is still early in his podcast journey, but he's already seen success thanks to his attention to detail, professionalism, and uncompromising desire to serve his audience with value and entertainment. He has, count them, five podcasts, including four sports-oriented shows and his highly popular cannabis education show, Cannabis 101. You can find them all at podcastalley.ca. And We cover a wide range of topics on this episode, and I'm not going to go into every single one of them right now. Here's just a few that stand out. He gives us tips on how to better use the microphone. He shares his approach to interviewing. He gives us creative ideas for how to get more listener engagement. And he tells us how to land the right kind of sponsorship deal. There's so much more we cover, but I want to jump straight into the meat and potatoes. So let's jump in to the conversation. Dean, thanks for being on For the Love of Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Billy. To start,
0: you've had an amazing career prior to podcasting, 23 years in media, television, and radio, so you're not unfamiliar with the microphone, with the medium. So tell me, why'd you start podcasting, man? Give me that story.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately, it was out of necessity and it's turned out to be uh, one of the best things that kind of happened. And it's, it's, you know, people say that to you a lot when you lose a job is that, oh, this could be the best thing. And it's actually turned out really well. So I was television for a long time in sports and then sports talk radio, a late night show, host pre and post game shows for the Edmonton Oilers. And the, the parent company made uh, countrywide cutbacks. Uh, pretty much every station lost a few members and, and I was the casualty at our station. So I found myself for the first time in 23 years without a job, but I'd always left a job with another one. So it was strange uh, to have that. And I thought, I don't want to do anything else. I love talking. I love what I did. I have a lot of experience in training. So asked around and a lot of people made suggestions when they found out I was no longer on the air to get into podcasting. And Started going from there. Just the uh, the idea of keeping a broadcasting career going. And it's amazing. You know, in 1997, when I graduated from broadcasting college, there was no podcast. Now you can literally go to broadcasting college, come out and start your own network and see where it goes. And I'm just saying there are so many options out there. So I stumbled into this out of necessity and I absolutely love it.
0: Well, okay. So let's dissect what your first steps were. When you got your pink slip and you realized you didn't have your job, you could have gone the more traditional route, finding another job and and looking for work. I love what you did. You asked people and you sort of crowdsourced some ideas. I'm curious how many people thought of podcasting, but then what were your first steps? What was your first show? Walk us through that journey.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I was not allowed to, I had a a non-compete clause in my contract. I went and talked to a lawyer because I was let go in March and the NHL playoffs are such a big thing here. I was wanting to get on the air and do something right in time for the NHL playoffs, which start in April. So I went to talk to a lawyer and, and he said, man, you could go to China or Russia and do a podcast and this would cover it. Like You can't even do anything. So I was bummed out at first. I'm like, oh, I can't get that rush on right away and capitalize on the momentum of a lot of people saying, hey, you should get into podcasts. So I was bummed out right away. Looking back on it, it was a blessing because it forced me to not start right away. And it forced me to do a little bit of research. And even then I did a lot of things wrong, but I didn't, it forced me not to rush it. So I watched a lot of videos. I read as much as I could. I went to some of the local music stores that I could talk to about some of the stuff. And I really found there was not a lot out there. It was, a this guy has this information and this guy, and it's amazing that it could be in one place. So I just started looking at uh, equipment and talking to people and trying to piece it all together. And and like I said, I made mistakes, but I had a few months to kind of put my plan together and deciding on what my first show was going to be, it was going to be sports and more pop culture. And I had a NHL GM on my first show, a guy that I, I know uh, for quite a few years. And so it was a time to plan that first show and plan some of those guests. So it really was a blessing to find out that I couldn't start right away. And it forced me to try and do things right. Even though I did a lot of things wrong, it could have been even worse. Had I not had that time that forced me to take a look and try to figure out how it is. Because the other thing about it was I was always in front of the camera or on the mic in my broadcasting career. I am not technical smart guy at all. I'm a tech idiot, if you will, sometimes. So I really had to learn a lot of different uh, terminology and and things, and I still don't have it down. It was definitely a crash course in how to do a podcast, because I think anybody can plug their mic into a computer and do a podcast. <laughs> Not everybody can do it well. And I come from the background of radio where there's a lot of good production work. And, and that was something that I really wanted to put into my podcast. So that's how I uh, the process was. And then launched my first show in late May. And then the next week launched another show. And the week after that launched the third show. So we kind of rolled them out that way and kind of went from there.
0: I love it, man. You're not even looking at my notes, but literally my next question that I was going to ask you, because I knew you said that anyone can make a podcast and I wanted to highlight that fact. Yeah. Anyone with a microphone can make a podcast. But the thing I love about you is that you put a lot of care into your shows. You really do care what the finished product sounds like and you're not going to settle. You're not going to compromise. You're not going to cut corners talk a little bit about what are the most important factors that you feel are necessary for your show to be ready so that you're not putting something out that you don't really stand behind.
1: Well, first of all, you, you have to sound good. If your podcast sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, nobody is listening to that show, man. I don't care. Like if you landed the biggest guest of all time, if you can't understand what that guy is saying or girl is saying, it does not matter. So Sound quality was imperative, uh, and as you can see, and I know you do as well, I, I'm going with the the Shure here, and this is just an extraordinary microphone. I come from a broadcast world where we had top-notch equipment, and we had those elements of production, and I sort of think, yeah, I'm doing a podcast, but what I'm actually doing is kind of a extent. Uh, A podcast radio show. It's not just flip the mic, start talking, end the mic, turn off the mic and end the show. There are elements and intros and I guess separators in the show. Some people don't like that. Some people just want the straight goods, but I want to put something out there that I feel is not just a conversation, but something that might make somebody laugh or interest or think, wow, that, that sounded good. And and I was really impre- uh, proud when I first launched my shows and people said, wow, this is more than just a podcast. It's like your radio show for all different types of topics. So I think sound is imperative. You don't have to have bells and whistles. And I use a lot of clips and sometimes I go overboard because I like playing with the board, but you don't have to have all that. I'm not saying you do, but i just think it adds a bit of a touch of you know whether you want to call it professionalism or i don't want to sound like it's in you have to have it and it's an elite thing that you need in your podcast I just feel it adds something for me because I come from that background. So plus I really enjoy working on that sort of things and, and and creating some of that stuff. It's, it's quite a lot of fun and I have a great husband and wife voice team that I work with for my podcast. So I really enjoy the process of it, which I never got to do in my uh, previous mainstream media career.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the voice team. What do they, what do
1: they do? They're a husband and wife team that are in the acting world. She's a choreographer. He is a performer. She also performs as well and they're musical. Um, They're great friends of ours performed at our wedding. So we have a real intimate connection with them. And and it's great when they come out, it's like a a visit, but they are very professional. Not everybody needs that again, but a team, whether it's husband and wife, and a lot of times I combine them both in the same production element, but it just adds something. Get somebody that you can work with and say, you know what, I like that, but let's try it this way. Because think about it. If you cut corners and say, yeah, that's good enough you know, in three weeks when you're hearing it, you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have asked them to do it over again. So it's a team that I can work with and confidently say, I want to try this again, or this is, this isn't working or let's try this. So for me, it's just another part of the element, and and it's it's a great couple. They're great friends of ours, and I know I'm getting strong quality. And you know, whatever I ask, they're like, "Yeah, let's try it. No, no questions asked."
0: What's their role though? What are they doing? Are they working with your voice? What is their intention to help to help you?
1: They just voice my intros. You know, whether it's the show intro or uh, the segment intros or or some of the. The extra elements that I uh, do—they're all just the voiceover work of uh, introducing all of my uh, all of my different podcasts.
0: And one of the things you mentioned when we spoke and we had a meeting prior to this conversation is you like you, you focus on entertainment, right? It's a show. It's more than a podcast. It's more than your typical show. It's entertainment, and I love that. I love that you you put so much attention into making sure that you provide entertainment value so one of the other things you said was talking into the microphone is the easiest part of podcasting and the comeback I have for you is easy for you to say because <laughs> you you have so much experience talking into the microphone and that's the area where I feel like I need lessons or understanding how to do it the right way. We'll save that because I actually do want to get some pointers for you but having years of on-air experience, what are some of the techniques maybe Mike you know how to mic technique is one of them, but what are some of the other things that you took from your experience in media and broadcasting that now you've applied to podcasting?
1: Well, I think mic placement is might sound like it's silly, but you get talking on these sure mics like this and obviously you can tell the big difference, right? And so you do need to know about what equipment you're using, how it works. One of the other things is I've taken a couple of drinks of water, right? Don't drink pop. That's just the simplest thing. Water or tea. I know from years of doing four and five hour radio shows, when you're drinking something that is not water or tea, pop particular, it sounds, you get the choppiness. So those are just the simple things that people might not even understand that already set you back. Somebody's listening and they hear that some noise every once in a while, because what you're doing. It's gonna annoy them and I just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned about me investing the time in production work we're asking people to invest their time in our podcast and now more than ever you have entertainment choices live sports are back now all the streaming oh and you want me to add your podcast to me well in in my opinion, if I'm asking you to invest an hour or 45 minutes or in one of my shows two hours, I really want something more than just a straight conversation. I want to you to think, that was kind of entertaining. So if I'm asking you to invest your time in me, I better be investing my time in that production value. And that's what I'm asking. That's one of the reasons I do it. As for getting back to some of the tips, it's practice, man. The first time I was ever live on the air, 1997, Brandon, Manitoba. I basically convicted a CFL commissioner of a bunch of stuff that was, I don't know. I just froze and started talking and my boss after was like, yeah, let's never do that again. And so that was my (laughs) first live TV experience. And it was a short 30 second update, but it felt like three hours. So it's practice, man. It is. If you don't think you're good at public speaking, this is going to sound weird. Read out loud. When I was going into broadcasting school, I worked at a gas station. The guys that I worked with and the girls that I worked with did not like me because I read the paper out loud every day. When I was in the shower, I would read a shampoo label out loud every day. Sometimes I would put a wine cork in my mouth to make sure you enunciate. So those are things you can practice. Practice talking because you don't get better being on a mic from reading a book or watching. Mm. You can, you can read and learn tips but you're not going to get better until you actually do it. So if that means doing a whole bunch of practice episodes, do it. If that means practicing on your own until you get comfortable, do it. Practice, practice, practice. You're not going to get better on the mic unless you work at it. And I'm telling you, it might seem weird. You might want to do it on your own, but reading out loud and you focus on reading and enunciating, I got to a point where they were like, okay, you need to enunciate less because you are on TV talking like this. So you get to a point where you're okay, but seriously, it's all about time and practice and experience.
0: Yeah, and you, you said it, right? You just thinking about it or not giving yourself the reps, really, mm-hmm. you're not going to have any chance of getting better. And it does come through time and practice and repetition. And so, okay, so let's talk about the mic itself. You've given some great tips to the wine cork and, and other things to help with the enunciation. What are some other tips that you have, either that you've used or that you've heard others use to practice the right way. Because if practice is important, practicing the right way is obviously also important.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things, the biggest errors people run into is it's something that unfortunately comes with time is they get nervous, right? And you're, okay, I'm going to be turning the mic on. Maybe I'm a little bit nervous. And then you start talking really fast or you uh, 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 you're, you're, you're all over the place trying to figure out what you're saying. Just try to do a deep breath. Listen, we did a, a deep, big, deep breath before we started this interview. Try to make sure you breathe. Just slow down your speaking. You might think you're talking really slow, but you probably aren't. I mean, in your mind, you might think you're talking slow, but you actually might sound a little bit normal. You might be nervous about interviewing a big guest, but everybody gets that way at some point. So I think the more you can just try to be relaxed, try to uh, literally talk slower because if not, you're probably talking a whole lot faster. And like I said, I don't think there's a trick to just being great on the mic. I think it's honestly time and you have to get comfortable. If you've never done a podcast before and this is your first time, you're going to be nervous. Give yourself some slack, give yourself some credit for actually deciding To do this podcast, you know how many people Mm. have an idea and never follow through with it? You're actually doing it. You know, don't worry about your podcast being in the top 10 or having production value in the beginning. Just get on the mic and start talking and then work your way to it. Depending on what you are. I am doing a podcast as a career now. So I am putting a little bit more and I don't have that kind of anxiety fear because of my career. But if you're just starting out, just doing a podcast, you've actually accomplished something that not a lot of people can do. So give yourself uh, a little bit of credit when you're first starting out. Definitely cut yourself some slack.
0: I love that advice because it's so important, right? We put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect from day one. And the reality is perfection is a myth. Yep. It's not, that's, it's not real. So give yourself a little bit of grace and allow yourself to make some mistakes early on. Speaking of mistakes, what are some of the mistakes you made early on in your podcasting journey?
1: Too much. Too, I was too much uh, too soon. I had this idea that I was going to have this terrific radio show slash interview segment. Uh, you know, the first guest I had on was, like I said, an NHL GM. And I also had a second guest on that show, uh, Olivia Chang, an actress working on uh, a terrific series. And and I was like, uh, wow, this is a lot. Like, this is too much. It was just, I tried to do too much too soon and actually scaled that show back to just an interview format show with a couple of segments and working on different things. The mistake I made in the beginning was trying to do the finished product at the beginning. Instead of Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, and I should have learned because I've been involved in lots of different radio shows where, you know, the idea starts here and you end up here at the end of it and you pivot or you change or different things. The one mistake I did was just trying to do too much in the beginning. The other mistake that I think I made was trying to piece together my equipment, you know, the Johnny Cash style, one piece at a time, right? You know, he, he built his car with all these different pieces. And I was looking at and okay, this is going to be my mixer. And then this is going to be for something I don't even understand, but I'm buying it anyway. Like I went out and I bought a bunch of equipment without actually understanding. and And that's where I said, I had all this time instead of doing the research, I went out and bought the equipment and tried to learn it. And, you know, I bought a bunch of different stuff. I ended up months down the road buying the Roadcaster Pro. It's a, just a one-stop shop instead of piecing it all together. So I made the mistake of rushing it with the equipment and not doing more research and saying, okay, this piece of equipment is expensive on its own. These four pieces of equipment that I have over here are even more. So I highly suggest take the time. If you want to start a podcast, pick like two, three months down the road and say, this is when I want to start my podcast and learn and learn and learn. I don't think you're going to learn everything or too much in a two or three month span, but I think it's going to give you time to figure out, okay, this worked for this guy, but it's not going to work for me. Questions. Uh, you know, I join a lot of uh, podcast Facebook groups and different things like that. There's a lot of people out there that do want to help. The mistakes I made early on was trying to go too big and rushing the equipment. So, you know, and my expectations thinking that, oh, man, you flip the light and people are going all to all of a sudden start listening. So your expectations play a big role in how you view your success of your podcast. And, and it's hard in the beginning.
0: Yeah. How, how have your shows evolved? Because clearly as you learn from the mistakes you make, you start to course correct. You make changes to your shows. In what ways have your shows evolved?
1: Well, certainly my, the very first show I did was just, it sports and more, so it's sports and pop culture. And I had a whole bunch of different segments that when you start thinking about podcasting, you're like, oh, wow, I have no rules. I can do anything I want, which you kind of can make your show however you want. But if you are doing podcasts to be successful, you have to think of somebody other than yourself. In the beginning, I was just like, oh, I want to do this segment. Instead of thinking, "Is anybody care about this segment? <laughs> so that has changed. You can be, if you're just wanting to do a podcast just for total fun, you know, be as selfish as you want and do what you want to do. And you don't care if anybody listens. If you're doing a podcast where you really do care about listeners because you're trying to attract advertisers, you have to li- think about somebody other than yourself. So... Like I said, my first show had all these segments and it's basically boiled down to three small segments and a long interview. Now, you know, like a 45 to 60 minute, uh, sort of long conversation, which I enjoy in television. 30 seconds was a long time in radio. 15 minutes was a long time for a segment for me to be able to get a hall of famer, like Grant fear on the air for almost an hour, First of all, it's a miracle to get Grant Fuhrer to talk that long because he's such a soft-spoken, quiet guy. But it's so (laughs) fun to explore different things with different people. So that show has changed into That's What That Is. It's basically a few different segments with uh, things built around a long-form interview. The Prospects baseball show that we're doing, we were constantly evolving as we go to try and... That show was too long in the beginning. So we're going to cut some stuff out. Unfortunately, the team isn't playing right now because of COVID-19. So that show's... On the shelf, Uh, my Cannabis uh, 101 podcast, that show is constantly evolving and we've added a news segment to it. We've added a business segment to it. Uh, We've added some other fun things. So that show kind of started out as a couple of segments, an interview, and it's evolved to involve. We've added segments to it as opposed to the other shows. And then just uh, this past weekend, I launched Fantasy Fun Time. We got a new show up. It's all about fantasy sports, and we're two episodes in, and we're already tinkering with the lineup and and things that we're changing. So you know that's the thing. My my other show, Tracking the Draft, with a uh, former NHL GM Craig Button. You know he makes suggestions sometimes, and it's like, oh, let's bring in this scout from Finland for this show to add to it. So. Those are some of the ways that those shows have changed over time. Sometimes it's just for an episode, like with that scout from Finland, but you can't be afraid to adapt a little bit and change your show and, and tweak it as it goes, um, you know, for good or for bad. And sometimes those temporary changes, special guests, whatever it might be, or sometimes you're like, yeah, oh, this worked. We're going to go with it. Don't ever think the show you started with is going to be the show you finish with. Cause that mm. rarely, rarely happens.
0: Oh, completely agree. And your ability to be adaptable and make dynamic changes, either for a guest or for the show in general, I think makes the show better. It makes the show... When the show's the same every single time, yes, there's the consistency factor that people like, but I think people also like new things and they like to have things that might surprise them. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about interviewing because obviously you've done a lot of interviewing throughout the years. You're doing interviewing now as a podcaster. What's your approach? How do you prepare and what advice do you have for anyone that wants to get better at interviewing?
1: Research, learn about the person you're talking to and don't think there's an obvious question because sometimes obvious questions actually get the best answers, but don't think you know everything. Listen, I grew up an Edmonton Oilers fan. Oddly enough, was not a Grant Fuhr fan. I was a fan of his goalie partner, but I knew about Grant Fuhr from the time I was five years old. I still Mm. learned things researching before the interview that I did the other day. Even if you think you know everything about somebody, you probably don't. So the number one thing is research. Podcasts, I guess, are at least weekly. There's some daily shows out there for sure where you know you're really doing a lot of research and when I, in my radio days I would get off the air at midnight come home and do research that night for the next day's show but those were 15 minute segments sometimes you might have a 45 minute uh, 60 minute interview you want to have as much ammunition as possible for that to be able to get the best out of that segment so number 1 is find out as much as possible about your guests and I'm not a big fan of saying here's the questions I'm going to ask but Depending on the subject and the topic, and particularly with podcasts, I've found that it's not a bad idea just to jot down some topics and say, you know, here's sort of what we're going to talk about. Or like we did, you kind of do a pre-interview. I never had time to do pre-interviews in mainstream media because as a reporter or a sports anchor, you're just grabbing the highlights and doing it. Talk radio, you got a different show every day and you only have 15 minutes But the ability to do a pre-interview with somebody, and I particularly find this in my cannabis show where I'm learning as much about the industry as the listeners are as we Mm -hmm. go, it really, really helps. So whether you do your own research or you actually talk to that person and kind of let them know, you know, here's some of the areas I'd like to go to, because there are some areas that people don't want to talk about. Uh, Grant Fuhr could have said, we're not going to talk about the drug suspension in the early nineties, but he didn't, but he could have. So I don't think it's a good idea. Those gotcha moments might seem like they're good for some different media outlets. I don't think you want to surprise somebody with a question that they weren't expecting. A, I don't think it's the proper etiquette. And B, don't hide behind it. you mm. want to ask a tough question, don't sucker punch somebody with it, if you will. Right? Like stand up and say, "Listen, I want to talk about this." And then if they don't want to, you can discuss from there. But you know, I think it's uh, I-, I think surprising people with the, that stuff. That's more of the reason. I want to send them the information. Plus I do a few other things that I want them to be prepared for some rapid fire questions that I want them. I don't want them to be like, huh, that's a great question. You know, rapid fire is supposed to be quick. So I just like people being as prepared as possible for my interviews. That's, that's the way I look at. So a pre-interview, or research or just sending them a heads up about some of the topics, I think really helps.
0: Yeah, I've done something similar where I found that in some cases people thrive on having the questions in advance and other times they don't even look at it. So right. I think I think you know, just making sure that you are thinking ahead of time. I think what a great example to talk about something that maybe is A little touchy, you want to make sure you get the go-ahead so it isn't a sucker punch. They're prepared and they're ready to talk about that. Okay. So you do a ton of research. I love that. And ahead of time, you might have that pre-interview. What about the questions that you ask? How do you set your interviews apart? Because obviously... You could know a, a whole host of, about somebody. We're both Kirk Gibson fans. I learned that by listening to one of your shows that <laughs> you you fell in love with Kirk Gibson around the same time I did. We were watching the 88 World Series and he hits his home run. I mean, how do you not become a fan? I mean, I'm obviously we were fans before then, but really solidify our Dodger love. And you know, you being from Canada, obviously that I was a little bit surprised by that, but it's super cool that you had that love. And, and so it was an instant common ground something that we could talk about in our pre-meeting. And now here we are bringing it up on this call. What do you decide to talk about? Because there's so much you can talk about. How do you narrow your focus to what is the most important?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because what's important to me might not be important to you and vice versa. A lot of times I like to go in kind of chronological order. Like with my cannabis interviews, kind of the first question I ask every single guest is, what'd you do before cannabis because for, for those that don't know, we are legally, recreational cannabis is legal in Canada. Here I am talking about cannabis and people are like, what's this guy doing? We are allowed to smoke weed in Canada recreationally. So that's what my show is about is educating people how to properly use it. So my first question with the cannabis guests is what'd you do before? Because unless that you're like an 18 year old that your very first job was at a cannabis store, we all did something different. So I kind of like to start in chronological order with things. It's like, what'd you do before? How'd you get into the business? And then kind of get the backstory, right? On my other show, I actually create a bio. I do a production of, this is where this person was born. This is where they went to school, played hockey, whatever it might be their whole life. Or Sass Jordan, I had a musician. And you know, this is the band's different things to kind of give the person... That's listening like, oh, okay, this is where this person went and this is their career path. I like to go with like, what was it like? Uh, You were a right-handed goaltender that had to use the left-handed glove as a kid for granted. You know, what was that like in the process of becoming an Edmonton oiler and that team developing? That's how I like to do my interviews. I don't like to jump around a whole lot. I like to go. In kind of that order, when I'm discussing a person's career, if you're having a guest on to say preview a playoff series or a a Stanley Cup playoffs, that's a little bit different because you have to think what team is going to, you know, what's going to get the most interest at the start? Like what matchup? Okay, for, well, I'm in Edmonton, so probably the Oilers. So that's where you kind of start with. When you're listing your topics, you kind of go, in my opinion, by half, what do I want to talk about? And what do I think the listener wants to talk about. Sometimes that's putting it out on social media saying, Hey, this is who I'm having on uh, this week. What do you guys want to know? You know, sometimes it's as simple as that and great way to also get listener engagement. That was one of the things that I loved about being on talk radio, not so much calls anymore, but texting the text and social media and the debates. And, you know, some of it wasn't fun, but a lot of it was, and it's a great way to get listener engagement with your podcasts is what do you want to know about this guest I'm having on? And here's one more thing I'll tell you about listener engagement that sometimes has helped some of the shows off the top. Uh, I ask people to like, tell me where you're listening from. What are you doing right now? As you're listening to this show kind of thing. And just gets maybe like tweet me at this, or just kind of makes the person say, Oh, he's, he's, he's talking to me right now. You know, I'm, I'm involved in this show now. So another kind of way to get listener engagement, if that's what you're after, I love it. So it's something that I try to do on a few different shows.
0: It's so funny. It's like you're reading my mind because I was just thinking, I wonder what it was like when you were on air and this is terrestrial radio going out to any number of people and you're getting feedback, you're getting calls, you're getting all sorts of different things. And then you go podcast land and it's, you're building, right? And so you're yeah. just now starting to get that traction with Cannabis 101 and, and sports and all the shows that you have. You're starting to get that feedback, but it probably for you is a little adjustment. I'm just guessing this because you're not getting as much of that real time feedback because you're building your audience. How have you adjusted to that? One. And then two, you've given some great ideas. What have you seen to work the best for? audience engagement in podcast world, like because you had all of those things that you were used to and you've mentioned a few, but what else? Because I think it is an important topic to talk about. How do you know what the audience wants without that engagement, right? You mentioned social media, you mentioned calling them out on air. Like what else helps you with that? And has
1: it been an adjustment for you? It certainly was. I mean, in a three hour radio show, we would get thousands of text messages and a lot of them, We're not very nice. Let me just say, (laughs) people are very brave when they think you will never see them or talk to them and they're texting from wherever. So a lot of it wasn't fun, but a lot of it was great because you would get debates and people would be like, you'd get to the point where you're like, you'd recognize a number and you'd be like, oh, this person actually has a lot of, they make a lot of sense with whether it's critique of the show or the, and listen, I, I have no problem with somebody critiquing me as long as they do it respectfully. Like, I'm not above thinking I can't get better, but if you call a guy a bleep and bleep and bleep, uh, I don't think you're going to get your point across. So when I switched to text to podcasting, I actually got a text line on my cell phone that I gave out on a few shows thinking, Hey, this is going to be great. I'm going to interact, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, it really doesn't work that way because there's not that instant reply connection like there is on radio. So I really had to change another mistake that thought it was going to be kind of the same transition. So one thing that I found I really have had success with, particularly on the cannabis show, but it could work in a lot of avenues, is send me a picture. One of the things is like, hey, what's your, what's your newest cannabis accessory? You can win a prize this week on the show. Tell us what the newest accessory is. I had people sending me pictures of their pipes and bongs and this and that. that's great because now they're saying, not only can I win something, but I'm involved in the show because there's this and I retweet them. I put them some of them in my newsletter that we send out for our subscribers and things like that. So asking people to respond with pictures, gifts is another thing. People love doing that on social media. What was You send me your reaction to what the Raptors did last night. Oh, you get all these crazy things, right? That's on social media. But what that does, you hope, is lead them to tuning in because you can always tag it and say, we'll be talking about the Raptor game tomorrow. Send us your reaction. Well, do they send a reaction? And maybe when they see it, they'll download the show, whatever it might be. So asking the people to specifically do something. Not everybody's going to do it, but like I said, Where are you listening to right now? My cannabis show right off the top. I ask people what they're grooving with. You know, if you're smoking a joint well, listen to the show, tell me what it is sort of thing. I'm not saying we get thousands, but we get some good response with some of that stuff. I think just specifically asking like a call for action, sometimes they call it, whether it's like, send me a picture of your favorite NHL jersey that you have. It's the Stanley Cup final or whatever, something that is going to make them think I want to do this. Then they're kind of emotionally connected to the show and you're emotionally connected to them. And that's definitely one of the things I miss about uh, live radio, but there are ways to to get into it. Cannabis space, it's a little different because there's a lot of people that still maybe their boss doesn't like them doing it, or maybe their parents. I don't know who knows. I oftentimes tell people just email me. You can be anonymous and you can, you know, still win the prize because, but uh, there's lots of other things you can do. Ask for pictures, take a picture where you're listening to this show, different things. This is a topic right now. We're talking about beer league hockey or something. Take a picture of your beer league hockey team, asking people to actually do something shows who's connected to your show, in my opinion.
0: Get creative, right? I love all of those ideas, man. Thank you for sharing that. And okay, so you've talked about some things that are working. What else is working? We talked about mistakes. What else is working for you? Because I I think we can really uncover and dissect, hey, oh, I tried this and it worked. And oh, I tried that and it worked. And this kind of worked. And then I tweaked it and it worked even more. What else have you been doing that you found helpful?
1: Yeah, well, one thing that I'm just in the process of doing is is adding video, something that, that you have, and that just opens up so many more avenues. Um, you know, you can use a program like Restream that sends it out to all your social media accounts. So doing video and then just putting it on YouTube is not enough. People aren't just saying like, I should watch something today. I'm just going to randomly search YouTube and find a podcast. That's not happening in reality. So having it on YouTube is good, but getting it out on other platforms. So adding video is something that when we added it before, it was really working. Quality wasn't good enough, so we stopped doing it until we could figure it out. But I did notice that you're reaching more people by, you know, streaming. And you can stream it two or three times a, a week if you really wanted to at different times because we all know people are on social media at different times. So I think adding video just gives you more avenues to get your podcast out there. NHL draft podcast and a fantasy podcast, the, the two newest ones that I've launched, definitely we're trying to keep them at that 45 minutes. Like I think some of my other podcasts are a bit more long form, educational and entertainment, and and that's fine. But Time is so important to to different people and they can listen to on their commute. And then the rest of the way home, they can finish up if they want to, which you really can't do on radio unless you have some sort of recording device. So for me, the one thing that I found that's working is podcasts less than an hour are more successful than the other ones. Now, my cannabis podcast is different. It's two hour show that space is kind of blowing up right now so that is working 45 minutes i think is kind of the golden ticket when it comes to uh, the podcast in that kind of area anyway if you, if you go a few minutes over that's the great thing i don't have some guy throwing a commercial if i go a few minutes over on a podcast like i did in radio but i'm aiming now for that 45 minute mark with my podcast
0: <laughs> i love it man well things have changed but one thing that hasn't changed is that you can get sponsors you can get people that support your show in fact Kudos to you and congrats on Fantasy Fun Time. Ultimate Franchise Fantasy is now sponsoring that show, which you just launched. Talk a little bit about how you landed that deal.
1: Well, it's so amazing. You know, they've been so good in supporting with some of my other shows. I was just sitting one day, I'm a huge fantasy sports fan, playing a bunch of leagues, and somebody from the league reached out and said, hey, we were launching this new league. Would you like to get into it? Just quickly to explain it, it's high-stakes fantasy. It uses cryptocurrency, and, and it's it's really... It's going to blow up. So I was really like, wow, this is, I don't know anything about the blockchain and cryptocurrency. I got to learn about that. And I'm not saying and I'm an expert, but they approached me and said, Hey, we got this idea. Would you let, do you want to get involved? So I said, yeah, let's, so we started talking and the more I learned about them, I liked, and the more they learned about me, they liked. And we kind of just started forming a partnership and saying, you know, how can I help you? How can you help me? I'm participating in the league that helps me promote it a lot more because I understand it and I can explain it. And my passion about the league comes through the passion for it comes through because I know about it. I'm physically involved. I don't ever want to promote something I don't believe in. Because you don't get a lot of second chances if you're promoting something. You know, I actually had something I was promoting that I thought I believed in. Then I learned more about it and I stopped doing it because I don't want to put false information out there. I don't want somebody to say that guy sold me some snake oil or a bill of goods or what I want to be reputable. So first of all, make sure you believe in what you're selling. Don't just take the money because you need it. You know, your reputation does not go through the mud and come out clean. So first of all, believe in what you're doing and it shows when you have a passion. So we started with that show uh, and then they jumped on the draft show because it, uh, it, it fits perfect with their platform. And then now this fantasy show. So find somebody that believes in what you do and you believe in them and form a partnership. Don't think of them as a client. They're a partner. You're building their brand. They're helping to build your brand in radio. It used to be, and and I, and I did sell some of my own shows at different times in radio. It's a little bit harder because you have actual 30 second commercials and there's, it's cut and dry. It's like, this is the rate for this. This is the rate for this. This is the rate for this. Be flexible. If you go in with a number. Don't throw the deal away because it's not exactly what it is. You can rework those deals a little bit, but be flexible, especially in the beginning with a partner. You know, don't just be like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. It's not enough money. Be flexible. You never know. So I started out with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports with one show and said, you know, let's do this in good faith. And it's grown. We both said we want to do more with each other. Form a partnership with somebody. Make them feel Part of the show. The other thing I don't do is commercials. I'm not telling anybody how they should do their podcast. I did 23 years of commercials. I'm good without them of (laughs) of things like that. So what I do is more conversational advertising. You know, I just talked about that league a little bit to you. That's kind of how I do it and and explaining to people about different things, people that advertise. Like I said, I've tried all the products I'm promoting so I can actually tell you what I think of it and I can tell you uh, the other things. So my advertising is more in conversation, you know, they're the title sponsor. Here's what they do. It's not a 30 second, come on down and get our fantasy team, 50% off at uh, Joe's fantasy world. It's not things like that. It's. Mm. I think people are choosing to download a podcast, not wanting to have to skip through 30, 60, 90 seconds of commercial. They're choosing your product to maybe get away from that in radio. Listen, a lot of the times people flip the station during commercials, right? And, and. You know, I just find working that the promotion of my partner into the conversation just seems a little bit more natural. So just me, I'm not saying commercials and podcasts are bad by any means. Uh, And, and for, for the other thing for me is I don't ever want to start my podcast off with a 30 second read, you know, kind of get into the show, explain a few things and be like, you know, here's the thing, because I don't want my podcast to seem like it's just one giant paid advertisement, but I do want to make sure that that client is represented. If you're hitting your your listeners over the head with your advertiser all the time, they're going to get annoyed. That's not good for the client either. So I think you have to be really strategic about how you do it and where you do it.
0: And what I love about what you said is that it's a, about a partnership, right? And treat it as such. I think that's a really healthy way to think about Finding people and companies that you believe in and want to support, and they believe in you and want to support you. And yes, I fully agree that when you beat somebody over the head with, frankly, what they're already annoyed by, which is relentless advertising, then it's just more of the same and it's just a different medium and a different platform that they've used. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of why podcasting's so beautiful and the way it is today is that you get to decide as the podcaster, what you want to align yourself with and associate yourself with. And it helps when you believe in the thing you're talking about and you could integrate it into the tapestry of your show. So it doesn't feel like yeah. a fake phony. It's normal. Yeah. It's just, it's just conversational. Like yeah. you
1: were talking to me and we're you're sharing what it's all about. It's funny. It, I just thought of something else. Actually, you when you asked me about the, you know, the mistakes that you make early on. So early on in my cannabis podcast, I would start out and you know, do a couple things and I'd be like, all right, here's your promo code for this. Uh, here's the this thing that's going on. Here's well, well, and then I was looking at my podcast. I'm like, I'm nine eight minutes in here, and I really haven't got into a whole lot of the show. But I've told them a lot of advertising things. And I'm like, that's annoying as a listener. So I started take okay, this I'm going to put down here, and this and space them out. Don't load them all at the end because a lot of people don't get to the end of your podcast, and don't load them at the front. Cause then a lot of people might not get to the middle of your podcast because they're so annoyed, spread them out. Don't have three companies that you're promoting in that first segment or whatever it is, because they're not getting the best bang for their buck because now they're in competition with two other sponsors. So that's the other thing. Don't overload the sponsors at the Mm. beginning, spread out your reads, whatever it is you might do, whether it's commercials Get your reads. You can mention, hey, thanks to our sponsors at the beginning, blah, blah, blah. We'll tell them about you as we go. But don't get into those 20-second reads, three of them. You've just burned a minute of that listener's attention span.
0: Yeah, and you burn the listener because you're potentially setting yourself up to have them no longer subscribe to you, no longer be the person that they want to listen to. So speaking of items that we like and we want to promote, let's geek out for a minute. Let's talk about some tools and resources you already mentioned a couple that i really want to hear more about which is restream you Mm -hmm. mentioned roadcaster pro but like what are some of the tools platforms applications it could be anything that you've used that you and we talked about this mic right the shure sm7b now i'm not getting paid by shure but it's a microphone that i love maybe one day they'll want to pay me but i love this microphone and so this is coming more from a just hey let's nerd out on podcasting stuff what do you like man
1: well, I love these mics. I have three of them. They're just wonderful. So I definitely love that. I have this boom arm that you can see. I think that's been super flexible. Yeah, like I used to just have a mic and a, a stand, so that it would be like <laughs> that. That was yeah. the shot, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, this yeah. gives me so much more flexibility. Different things. I can host up to three other guests in here. I have a, a Rode mic as well that I use. But yeah, you mentioned the the roadcaster. It's like one stop shopping. It records everything while I do it. It has Bluetooth technology that I can have four inputs. I can hook my iPad. It just does so many things. So it's kind of like a great podcast start. If you don't know a lot about technical stuff, this is really, really, you know, I don't want to say that insultingly, but it dumbs it down for people like me so I can understand and learn a bit more. I started using GarageBand. I'm a Mac guy. It's free. It's a great program. Apple used to have things where you could actually go in and just learn about it. Unfortunately, they don't have that as much anymore. It was awesome. That's where I learned most of the stuff about the editing and that process was going into Apple and saying, why can't I do this? Show me this. And they'd actually just sit with you for an hour. So that was great. But GarageBand is what I use. It's a good product and it's free on the Mac. So Mm -hmm. when you're starting up a podcast podcast, you don't want to spend a lot of equipment unless you have a giant sponsor budget. So I went with GarageBand. Uh, I'm now uh, just process or transitioning into Hindenburg, uh, which is Hindenburg Journalist Pro. The one thing I love that is you drop your audio in, it automates the levels, right? So you got a guest that's really low or really high, it brings it down to equalize it. So and so I'm just learning about that. So I don't know a lot of the tools, but that's really cool. And just a tip on world radio day, they have a massive sale every year at Hindenburg. So I can't remember when world radio day, I think might be April or something like that. Go to the Hindenburg website and you can get a a giant discount, just a, a tip for people out there. That's when I bought mine. I bought it and didn't even use it for a few months. I just wanted to take advantage of the, uh, the discount. I did use OBS open broadcast software or system. I'm not sure for a little bit of video. I found the lip sync wasn't great and I wasn't that good at audio editing. So I abandoned that and I'm now using something called vmix, vmix.com unfortunately it's only a Microsoft program so I have to use boot camp on my Mac switch over to Microsoft uh. and use that so so it does cost some uh, space issues but vmix is great I can build a virtual set with it uh, you know we're just putting a, a virtual set together for fantasy fun time with Dodger blue colors by the way it allows me to get really creative with that and then you know just like with a lot of these things you just send a link people join the call and you can you know move the camera into boxes and things like that so those are the sort of the things I use. I use a a Logitech camera, the Brio, and then I have just another webcam for in-studio guests that I can set that up with. And yeah, I just use an iPad for a a soundboard to play clips and, and intros so that when I edit some of my shows, I treat them as a radio show. And as I go from segment to segment, I do it live with my iPad and just you know, hit the bumper for the next intro of the segment and then go into it. Like I used to do in the radio days, then you drop in some different interviews, but I try to do my shows as if they're a continuous show other than dropping in interviews because it makes me feel like I'm still on radio and I find it a lot easier to edit that way. So.
0: Speaking of radio, World Radio Day is on February thirteenth. So I looked that up. So we didn't talk too much about the promotion side, and so I want to dive in on that topic. We we talked a lot about the engagement. What are you doing to promote? What are you doing currently, and then maybe what do you plan on doing to get your audience? more exposure to
1: all of your shows? For me, the number one thing is social media. It's just me, right? And it's just, I'm the host, the producer, the editor, the promoter. I'm everything. Whereas in my previous life, there was somebody that did each of those jobs. And it was like, I turn the mic on, do my show, go home. Somebody else promotes it. Somebody else does this. Well, here you, you really have to, it's a side hustle. It's a grind. If that's what you're, if you're, for me, I'm looking at attracting listeners, which attracts Clients and partners, you have to get out there. I use social media a lot, whether that's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, any of these things that that I can use that I think will further it. And I'm, I'm always exploring more, trying to get onto Reddit. I, I do some other um, chat sites for uh, some hockey prospects, uh, hockey's futures. It's called, but well, that's obviously you know find your demographic. If if you if there's a Reddit thread about basket weaving and that's what your show is. And you be posting in that basket weaving show, right? Like I post my prospects show on a prospect's thread on this chat board so that people can talk about it. You have to be creative and you have to be banging the drum all the time. Some people are on at seven in the morning. Other people are on at eight at night. Don't think that posting once about your show is just going to get repeated all the time. So mm. you might think like you're doing it too much, but you you have to bang the drum, especially in the early going, if you don't have a budget. And unfortunately I don't.
0: And I love the idea of going to places where your audience will be. I think that's where knowing your audience is really valuable. Understanding who listens either currently or who will listen to your show and therefore giving you greater visibility into where you might find them in other places. You just mentioned one, but I'm sure there's countless places where you could find Prospects, or find people that are interested in cannabis, or find people that are interested in fantasy. That's the beautiful thing about having a clearly defined avatar, customer avatar, audience avatar. Therefore, you can go to any number of sites to make yourself more visible, and then by proxy, make your show or shows more visible. So, we've covered a lot of ground. You've shared so many insights, so many ideas. What have we missed? If you're talking to a podcaster right now, either they are in the midst of getting their show started or maybe they've been running their show for a little bit, what other advice do you have that maybe we didn't think of or talk about that we could share now as a final thought, a final bit of wisdom from you and your experience that would provide value for them?
1: I think really the one thing that I would say to somebody that's saying, hey, I'd like to start a podcast. What should I do? First of all, define your expectations because my expectations of, of attracting advertisers and partners might not be your expectations. You might just want to do a podcast about the Avengers. Who knows? Cause you're a big fan, right? So define your expectations. If your expectations are just to do a fun podcast, you don't want to make money, then that's great. Then, then you have already succeeded. If your expectations are to build something like I am trying to do with Podcast Alley, podcastalley.ca, cheap plug, is define that and say like, okay, this is what I have to do. Here's my expectations. Here's when I realistically expect to start meeting those expectations. Don't say, okay, I want to do a podcast. I want to attract an advertiser. If I don't have one by week two, I'm quitting. Well, because you might be in week 12 or episode 12 or 15 before you attract that. So have realistic expectations. But first of all, figure out what your expectations are. Why are you? And like, don't ask me, what should I do? Ask yourself, why are you doing this podcast? And then kind of go from there. If it is to build a podcast empire, we'll have realistic expectations. Don't just say, in the first year, if I'm not making six figures, I'm quitting. Well, that's probably not going to happen. I'm sorry to say there's not a lot of people that make six figures off their podcasts in the grand scheme of things. So figure out why you're doing it and then set realistic expectations and then revisit those down the road. Okay. You didn't meet them by this time, set a new goal. Don't just quit, set a new goal.
0: Yes. Great advice. Dean Millard, thank you so much for being on this show. You can find Dean, he beat me to it, <laughs> PodcastAlley.ca. You can find his shows, Sports and More, Tracking the Draft, the Cannabis 101 podcast, Fantasy Fun Time, his brand new show, and Prospect's baseball show. He's on Twitter. You can find him at Duck Millard. You're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? I
1: don't have that one handy. Yeah, we've got PodcastAlley. And Duck.Millard is uh, the Instagram handle.
0: And what did I miss? What, what else, where else can people find you?
1: Facebook. We've got the Cannabis uh, 101 podcast page on Facebook. We've got Sports & More on uh, Facebook. And uh, yeah, just Instagram. Uh, check out podcastalley.ca. And that's where I am. I'm always hanging out. It's right by the hammock district, as they said, in The Simpsons. So my <laughs> wife came up with Podcast Alley, so I have to give her some credit. But yeah, check out podcastalley.ca. And I'm most active on Twitter at DuckMillard.
0: Okay, perfect. And we found each other on LinkedIn. So you know, you're on LinkedIn as well. So Dean, it's been an absolute joy. I love your energy. I love your passion. I love your insights. And I'm sure that all of those things will resonate with the listeners. Thanks for being on for the love of podcast.
1: Billy, thank you so much for the time. I'm really excited about this show and following along and learning myself a whole bunch of new things that are going to make my podcast better.
0: Don't worry, I'm not going to say stop this time. Instead, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. Seriously, it means so much to me. And I also want to say that instead of sharing all the ways that you can get in touch with me, I'm going to recognize one individual, one listener, who I had the opportunity to meet this week. Her name is Nikosha Anderson, and she's the co-host of the Professional Use Only podcast, which is a podcast where keeping a professional gets real. She and her co-host True and her EP Dawn share insights and topics that black women professionals face in today's corporate America. So why have I decided to give Nakosha a shout out? Well, it's simple. She's listened to every episode of this show and she sent me an email this week that really touched me. Not only did she say she loves this show, but she gave me feedback, which frankly, I agreed with. So I invited her to jump on a Zoom call and learn more about her story. We had an amazing conversation. I learned more about her passion for podcasting, how she's constantly raising the bar for her own show, and we talked about life in general. It was such a pleasure to meet her, and I'm grateful for the time that she spent. She even gave me some ideas for how to make this show better, so I wanted to give her a huge shout out for taking the time to meet with me. If you would like to meet with me, I would love the opportunity to connect send me an email at billy at fortheloveofpodcast.com. I'd love nothing more than to learn from you and understand how I can best serve you and provide as much value as possible in each episode. So what's in store for the next show? Well, it's a special, short, popcorn episode inspired by none other than JLD, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. And in this one, we're gonna dissect, kind of like a case study, how to get on more podcasts we're gonna explore an email that my friend Jeff Harry sends out, which has been highly effective. In fact, it's been so effective that it's landed him on 60 podcasts in the last six months. And so we're gonna dissect the email that he sends out and look at exactly why it's so effective. I can't wait for you to listen to that one. And so until next time, remember, we do it all for the love
1: of podcast.